0: Welcome to the DEVCOM Games Industry Podcast with your host Lars Janssen. Welcome to this special episode of the DEVCOM Podcast that is part of the DEVCOM Tech and Tools Summit we're excited to bring to you for the first time this year. Today we will be talking about AI and machine learning with four experts in the field, something we don't do too often. Usually we only have one or two guests, but this time I'm super excited to welcome Tanya, Andrzej, Christopher, and Niels. All four of them are going to introduce themselves in a moment. But first of all, thank you for taking the time to join me. It's a pleasure to have you all here.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us.
0: So let's kick it off with a a quick round of introductions, like I said, so listeners get a bit of a background on who you are and what you do, um, projects you work on, companies you work for. So uh, Tanya, maybe starting with you, uh, give us a little bit of insight on, on who you are.
2: Sure. Uh, first of all, I, I don't consider myself an expert on AI and machine learning. i um, sorry. Well, uh, I just Lars, made you one, but... <laughs> so
0: you got to get with the flow now, right?
2: Yes, yes. I'm a, I'm a game designer, primarily. Um, and I do have opinions about AI and machine learning. Um, but my first job in the industry in 2008 was as a uh, quote-unquote AI designer. And we can talk about the limitations of that later. Um, but it was at Funcom on MMOs like Age of Conan and later uh, The Secret World. And in 2013, I started my own studio, Kid Fox Games, here in Montreal, Canada. Uh, we've made games like Moon Hunters, um, and we're currently working on Boyfriend Dungeon, and we'll be publishing Dwarf Fortress soon. So that's where some of my opinions come from. Um, but yeah, I'm Tanya. Nice to meet you all.
0: Cool. Thank you. So maybe handing it over to, to Andre. Maybe you go next.
1: Yeah um hi so uh, i've uh, worked in the cg slash game development industry for like two decades uh my uh, path to research and ai is is slightly unusual because my first job was as an environment artist so uh, a non-technical position uh but over the years i've like worked on different uh Research projects, and ultimately ended up working with uh, researchers from Oxford, or recently with Facebook AI Research, for example, and uh, you know contributing uh, to to those research projects. So um, you know, hopefully, you know, my example uh, would show people that 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 even coming from a non-technical, uh, strictly background, uh, you know, you, you can uh, tip your toes into the research, and, and it's actually uh, quite quite accessible. Uh, despite the fact that it's of, often viewed as a very deep technical field.
0: Great, thank you. So so moving over to uh, Christopher and, and Niels, I mean, you're both from the same company, but uh, maybe starting with Christopher, I'll give you a bit of background on uh, who you are.
3: Yeah, for sure, thank you. Yeah, hi, I'm, uh, I'm Christopher. I have a background uh, doing independent game development uh, out of a studio I, I co-own called Tegut Fabric, and I've been doing that for about a decade. But at the same time, I've also been doing research in AI and machine learning for games, and uh, and now I'm the uh, the founder and the CEO of a company called Model AI, where um, where I work together with Nils, where we're working to uh, to build um, AI and machine learning driven tools to make game developers' lives a little easier.
0: Cool. So Nils, maybe following up on that, uh, you know what's what's your role at Model AI and who are you?
4: Yeah, uh, I'm an AI researcher at Model AI. And I'm working on uh, game-playing agents, automated testing, and uh, sometimes machine-learning based PCG. Um, And I have a PhD from the IT University of Copenhagen, um, where my research was focused on adaptive game-playing agents. That includes deep learning, reinforcement learning, uh, and also uh, PCG and how procedural content generation can be used to assist training of, of agents to make them more general. Um, and I'm also organizing a competition uh, called Botball, where participants submit bots that play against each other in Botball, which is a really hard game for bots to play.
0: Uh, I, I like Botball, <laughs> but I didn't know there's a, I didn't know there's a competition for uh, for bots. So that sounds interesting. You're probably got to talk about this a little more later on. So um, as a, as a kickoff question um, uh, for you guys, I was wondering. How do you think is uh, ai and and machine learning currently used in games? And what would you dream about when connecting game development and research in that field more? Um, that That'd be something I'm very curious. So maybe uh, you know uh, starting with with tanya and uh, and I know that uh, Andre, you also have some some research background, obviously in, in that case. So what would the two of you see as the uh, you know the the ideal scenario of how AI and machine learning can be used in games?
2: I'd like to start out with saying that the the current uh, trend, I would say, has been for a lot of game designers to sort of dip their toes in and then sort of back away very quickly. Um, I am the co-editor of a couple of games or sorry, uh, books, not games for once books on procedural generation and game design. So there's a, a book procedural generation game design and procedural storytelling and game design. And in both cases, they're just collections of essays from various game designers across, um, the game industry and how they, and they're, they're mostly use cases about how they use uh, procedural generation in their games. And you see this trend of people, um, sort of realizing as they go through it the perception of the game in a lot of cases matters more than the reality of the implementation so although they might start out with this dream of having an npc that's really thinking and really feeling um after you know months or years of fighting with it it turns out to be more of a scripted encounter or it ends up being um i don't know a very basic state machine kind of situation um and i think there's still hope, (laughs) Um, even though we've had decades now of mostly designers um, getting discouraged a little bit uh, as they dig into it. Like I mentioned, I was hired as an AI designer on Age of Conan uh, back in 2008, which is an MMO, a very typical 2008 MMO in terms of being like content you mostly consume. And something that made them unusual was that they actually had a, uh, their they, their attempt to have a living, breathing world was that each little AI in their game actually had a Meslovian pyramid that it would follow. So each trash mob would first try to be safe, and then they'd try to eat, and then if they got sleepy, they'd try to sleep, and then they try to self-actualize uh, after some hours or days of successfully sleeping and eating um and it was completely pointless because a player running around just saw trash mobs like wandering around and doing animations um it was it was extremely extremely uh large waste of human and technical effort um unfortunately (laughs) um but the dream is still alive like I, i actually just saw a pitch from a day a friend a couple days ago uh looking at how do we make a virtual world that is worth digging into as a player and i think that that's that's what we need to look at now. Like when you look at Dwarf Fortress, I think what I start dreaming about is like, how do we take that level of depth that really rewards players? The further they dig in, the more they feel rewarded. Because if you're just looking at the, the surface level experience, scripted, authored, um, very basic interactions will always uh, be more compelling in the short term, I think. But the, I think it was Mitu Kandaka? Um, coined the term the, the play of observing or the, the, the play of noticing. And I think that by itself is, is maybe the first step towards something, um, is really making something that's fun just to watch and fun to notice and fun to understand as a player. I don't know if anybody has uh, any related anecdotes to that. but.
0: Yeah, give it to give it to the round i mean andre christopher Nielsen anything that you you have uh as, as a personal dream or connected to what tanya were just saying yeah.
1: yes so i actually uh, agree with the statement that tanya started with which is like the it shouldn't be about technology or some research it should be always uh, in terms of in, in case of game development it should be always about game mechanics the player the experience this should be like the the, the, uh, the polar star of, of every game developer. Uh, but what uh, the recent improvements in, in deep learning and machine learning um, more, more broadly brought is some democratization of different stuff. So it used to be just an example from a different industry. My, my friend did computer vision in industrial settings. It, and it was like a, a year or two process to recognize something on a factory floor. And once in a while, a, a sun shined through a window and the algorithm was like useless. But it was like a, a traditional computer vision method. And now you just, uh, you know, show a bunch of examples of, of the object you're trying to recognize and the deep learning allows you to do it in like just like within days sometimes like obviously if you're going for production it will take a longer time to polish but you really level the playing field uh, in in many areas and I think in game development the same case will be uh, uh, we will see and uh you know with my background uh as a you know someone who created content for games uh, a lot of my focus is around uh automating content creation and also using deep learning for for uh, generating content and i think we will see already see some glimpses of that but over the next few years we'll probably see a lot of uh you know new tools new ways of, of generating content we briefly mentioned of of uh, AI dungeon, and I think that that's one of examples where uh, the gameplay, the story is, is and, and, and the you know narration, everything is generated automatically. Um, and we'll see the same with uh, you know generating audio, generating um, you know uh, speech, generating uh, visuals. Uh, and on top of that, that's like obvious in terms of AI, as it used to be uh, the, the term used in game development. Uh, uh you know, we will move from, you know uh, just using simpler methods, which were worked great, but uh, uh, didn't go well with complexity. So doing a finance time machine uh, of a size of a spaghetti monster was like too much <laughs> usually. <laughs> so you had to like currently with reinforcement learning, we, we, we can try to do more interesting stuff, more nuanced interactions. And we also see some some you know glimpses of emergent behavior, which is like great. This is like the 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 nice little seasoning of on on the game, which is sometimes like a, a bit of an unexpected uh, additional uh, you know gratification for the work put into the process.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. So it's actually a good segue into uh, what you guys at Model AI are doing. Uh, so uh, what I'm curious, like you with with Model AI, you help bridge the gap a little bit between research and game development. So, uh, I mean, you're bringing, um, you know, tools and, and ideas into uh, the game development scene. So maybe you can, you know, talk a little bit about what you offer in that regard and uh, and how you see um, to the possibility to, um, you know, bring newer research into, uh, into something that benefits the player experience in our games.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think at, at Model AI and, and also personally, I think there are sort of like three directions where you can take, um, you know, modern AI in, in particular machine learning and do something new that you couldn't do before. Um, and so the first the first place where I tend to think about it is is automation. So uh, learning from demonstrations and automating things that normally that would require human humans to go through the same rep, uh, repetitive task over and over again. Um, the other area could be co-creation, so maybe uh, AI and machine learning can assist you in making, you know, different kinds of content or different amounts of content that you couldn't on your own, uh, learning from examples and uh, and learning from from what a human designer does to basically give you a gallery of stuff to choose from. And then the third one is is sort of like generation and also online generation, as it also sort of like applies to behavior. Um, and that's that's uh, that's where I agree a lot with what both Tanya and Andre said. That, um, that we're only sort of like starting to begin to see uh, how machine learning running actually in your game can give uh, game developers the tools to give you know, players new experiences, basically. And I think we're, we're just sort of like on the verge of, of having some of these technologies being easy enough to use, that people want to use them in their actual practice. And I think we'll still need to see what kind of tools they are in terms of, um, you know, what kind of new play experiences they enable and how you work around them. So I think, you know, automation, we kind of like, that's easily understandable. We can take some of the things that um, that, that people have to do already, learn them and replicate them. That's, that's what we're focusing on in model at the moment, because um, there are a lot of like repetitive things in game development that could be automated. Co-creation is also relatively well understood, and that's also something that we're focusing on, but sort of like on the on the behavior and content generation on the fly. I think what we might end up seeing there are basically um, sort of like a new design vocabulary being built around what machine learning can do. Because often what you'll get from machine learning is a, is a large degree of emergence. Uh, you don't really know what the model is, is gonna generate. You know, don't know exactly what character is gonna do. And uh, I think as a game designer, you sort of like need to design differently around that. And as a player, you're gonna have a different kind of experience um, around that as well.
2: Yeah, I feel like there was a small revolution around, you know, the Sims uh, designers still sort of struggle with the I I struggle with the concept of designing sandbox gameplay versus, um, quote unquote, normal, uh, slightly more more structured gameplay. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
2: think machine learning is sort of the next step after that. Like, what if the sandbox also isn't defined? (laughs) Um, And have you have you encountered any like, do you have any specific examples of times when maybe uh, a new vo- a design vocabulary might help defining, um, like, a design intent when you start on a machine learning path? Or, like, I started wondering if I were to design a game using the, the AI Dungeon 2 engine, for example, um, yeah, I'd have to make up a whole new word for what it means to, like, support player verbs, I guess, and, and to put limits on content and... I don't know, just hearing you talk a little bit more about that would be really interesting to me.
3: Um, for sure. If, if it's OK, I'll I continue. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I just, I, 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 I no, no I'm, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> right. Awesome. I mean, that's actually, that's actually what I was hoping for,
0: that we get like a lively discussion here in, within the group. That's uh, really good for our listeners as well.
3: OK, okay. I, just, I don't want to grab the mic. But, um, but, but uh, w- one uh, term that, that I find really useful in thinking about this is the notion of expressive range. So you have sort of like uh you know a method that can generate and this doesn't only apply to sort of like uh, machine learned uh, content okay. generation processes of course right but once you have a process that can really generate um you know an infinite amount of content even though you know it might all it's not all unique of course you need some sort of method and way of characterizing what the generator is outputting so you need some way of, of measuring you know what are the limits what are the scope, what are the different centers and regions where, um, where interesting content appears. And I found that the, the term expressive range is, is really good at capturing that and sort of like helping you figure out how do I box in what this algorithm can generate and what I can do with it. Um, I believe it was coined uh, by, so, so uh, I'd have to go check, but I think it's Gillian Smith who, uh, who coined okay. it, um, but, but it's, it's a really good sort of like thinking tool for thinking about what, what is my algorithm actually generating.
2: Yeah, I could think, I, I imagine there's, there could be a whole family of related terms for like areas where you want it to center generally, like the expressive center or the expressive target or, again, yeah, like lots of things in that. That's interesting.
0: I have a follow-up question to the um, automation part that you were talking a bit about before, Christopher. Um, so what's a typical task that, uh, you know, it gets automated with your tool set in, in the games um, that uh, people use
4: it for?
3: Um, sure, but what we're looking at at the moment uh, and what we're seeing the greatest demand for is testing basically and continuous QA. Um, so, you know, uh, typically when you go through, uh, you know, when you're offering static content for your game, often you'll, you'll have to check all the geometry or you want to do performance testing or load testing and things like that. And we're finding that that's an area where you can you can offer something generic. So you can have, you know, a bot to sort of, you know, just run through a level and check all the content if you wanted to do that. Or you can you can easily, well, relatively easily, set up a system where you can learn from human demonstrations and then replicate it. Uh, so so you know, typically you'll have you when you're building a piece of content. Uh, every time you change your game, you'll want to run through the same test over and over to make sure the game still works. Um, or you want to check every new level that you've offered, but everything in there works as intended, there are no holes uh, in the geometry, you know, a game doesn't crash when you go to certain areas. And in those parts, we consider sort of like the first low-hanging fruit in terms of, of automation.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay,
3: I understand. So in, in general, like as a,
0: as a follow-up to that, where do you all see um, good examples right now in, in games that you've either personally played or did you work on where uh, AI is used in a maybe uh, not so basic way, but still, or especially because of that, adds to the game experience in a way that would not be possible without it? I'm just curious, uh, are there any cases where you would say they really stand out for you? And, and if so, what can we learn from them for game development in general?
4: Yeah, maybe I can come in here. So I think no man's sky is a really good example when it comes to AI and procedural content generation, generation. Um, And especially because AI is really good at exploring spaces. So if you define the knobs that we can, we can change, um, what are the what are the properties of, of the environment, then AI is really good at at exploring and coming up with, with, um, with these different kinds of solutions in that space. Um, But it doesn't necessarily mean that those um, solutions that it comes up with are interesting uh, for human. So maybe the vastness of all the content that that's generated can be impressive and be a really unique experience for a player. Uh, But it's very often, at least for me, different from a human design um, experienced. You can, you can sometimes see the difference. And I, th- I think No Man's Sky is a good example where you sometimes miss the humanity in the design. But on the other hand, the, the machine design gives a new kind of experience experience that is super interesting.
0: So this maybe a game design uh, question I would have in that regard, maybe Tanya for you. Um, Knowing that there's um, procedurally generated content and knowing there's also th- this potential issue that uh, that Niels was talking about right now that sometimes it might lack the, the human touch to it, how do you kind of connect these two? So what is, what is too much or too little uh, human touch to this? Uh, is it possible to uh, kind of somehow combine the two? And if so, how would you do it?
2: Oh, it's absolutely. I mean, combining the two is the the co-authoring challenge that that Christopher was mentioning. Um, I think that the the challenge is more about how much do you communicate? uh, What Uh, on the spectrum of completely machine, well, theoretically, completely machine-authored, which is completely impossible right now. But, you know, in in the ideal version, you have a 99.99% machine-authored content versus 99.9% human-authored. And in between, I think that players come with very, very different expectations based on who they think authored the content. And No Man's Sky is a really good example of what happens when, um, at the very beginning at least, custo- customers didn't really understand, they, they hadn't been educated to what to expect when it's primarily machine authored or, or co-authored in a, in a, to a significant degree. The average gamer hadn't really encountered uh, Kate Compton's uh, bowl of oatmeal uh, problem, right? Where even if you procedurally generate every single flake of oatmeal in the bowl, that doesn't make it interesting. It's still a bowl of oatmeal, right? Um, So like the meaningful, significant difference between content, I think the average gamer now, post No Man's Sky, we actually have a much better landscape now for giving them procedural content because they know what they're looking for and they know what to expect and expectations are are everything. Um, What was the original question? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, combining hand-authored. Yeah, combining. Um, Yeah, I think that right now we're seeing most people either are constructing chunks so like the equivalent of like letters in an alphabet that the the co-authored machine then assembles with its own grammar which is interesting or we're seeing um like a human grammar and 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 then the machine some sort of more supplies the stuff that goes in between but you see a, a, a sort of human pattern to it and they each have their own satisfaction, I think, each of those approaches. And, and typically, it's a little bit of both. Um, but I know like we, a, a year or two ago, we made a game where it's theoretically, quote unquote, AI are dating each other. Um, and you bet, as a, as a spectator, you bet on whether or not they fall in love. And it generates the flirt and romantic results of, of these two characters flirting with each other. Um, so one of them might say, uh, you know, your eyes are so beautiful. And the other one based on their traits either is like, Oh, thank you. And they blush or they're saying, excuse me, no, thank you. And then their, their love goes down. And it was definitely a, a it's a, it's a very simple example of how, you know, whether they said, if they said, if, if all of them said every single time, your eyes are so beautiful, People who are watching think, oh, this is just hand authored and it's just a random set of things. But we intentionally put in fingers as something that could be complemented because that very clearly signals to the watcher that a computer has come up with this line that your fingers are so gorgeous is like something that a human probably wouldn't have written in there. And so there's a few like little chunks in there that we put in um, specifically to to temper player expectations as to... uh, what absurdities might come out of the system.
3: There's
0: nothing wrong with nice fingers, though, I would say. <laughs> There's
2: nothing wrong. You know, people maybe should compliment fingers more Yeah, often, that's what I want to say. Because there are right? beautiful fingers out there.
0: So uh, let's talk about, you know, some, sometimes the downsides of AI. Are there cases where AI may not lead to the desired player experience? Uh, are there uh, cases that, that you know from your work uh, where you would say, ah, that should have been done like differently this, this here ai is not helping um, I, i'm just curious
1: yep, absolutely it's you know the, the problem with uh, especially deep learning is that you can't fully predict what you're going to do right like if you're trying to do uh, game ai and, and you have this vision of your finite state machine in your head you're, it's just a matter of implementing this in code uh, but if you're uh, trying to train an agent, an artificial agent with reinforcement learning, it sometimes it can surprise you uh, how it behaves. It will find any loophole that you forgot about to patch in terms of, uh, you know, there's, there's, there are great examples uh, from research, like, uh, you know, uh, agents jumping over walls, uh, not following the maze or something like this, like uh, finding bugs in the physics uh, engine. So so that, um, you know, a lot of people might find discomfort in this—that that it's not fully predictable and you, you can't, uh, you know, um, have a solid plan what will come out of it. Uh, I actually f- think about it as an advantage because I'm, I'm very often <laughs> pleasantly surprised by by what uh, AI uh, comes up, and even the. Uh, complementing the fingers, uh, if that was uh, driven by some language model, that would be an awesome, like a a, a nice surprise, like this is like, you know, it's uh, so, you know, for some, this will be uh, viewed as disadvantages. Uh, On the other hand, for me, uh, those are examples that are great. And that's probably why I I see more interesting projects coming from indie developers, and especially like very small teams, because because they're they're less risk averse, right? If you have like stakeholders, huge teams of hundreds of people and a uh, full production pipeline that was proven over years, uh, you're probably less, uh, you know, um, willing to take a risk that, you know, in the end the AI will not do the right thing, right? So indie developers, I think like, uh, a lot of the innovation and the and the novel gameplays, game mechanics that will come up, come out, thanks to the, you know deep learning. I think it's it's still going to come from like completely sidelines and 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 like surprising places because uh, you know those are the risk takers, like the the, the pe- people who experiment with uh, new games. So uh, you know again, wh- whether it's a Negative or a positive uh, depends on, on where, where you're standing and your point of view.
0: Uh, you actually, I, I got to say, Tanya, you're muted. <laughs> we got to cut this later on. But I, just I saw was you going to say,
2: <clears throat> honestly, if you look at the last couple of years of hits on Steam, for example, on PC, I feel like we are seeing an increasing uh, edge from system-driven games. And... Some of that is from multiplayer, but some of it is from an increasing uh, embracing of the unpredictability and and novelty of system-driven games. And so I think, although most of those aren't quote unquote AI at this point, uh, that would be the, the natural next step of embracing um, unpredictability, chaos. You know, like when people ask me, well, what happens in Dwarf Fortress Like if they don't know? Um, how do you tell them what happens in Dwarf Fortress? You, you have little dwarves and they go insane after some years. And why do you play it? Because you don't know how they're going to go insane this time. Um, but there's such a rich capability for, for other games that, that really, like you say, if you have nothing to lose and you're an independent creative person who really is ready to, to roll with what happens with this weird thing you make. Um, I do think that there's a whole, whole slew of games that we're about to discover in the next few years.
0: So what kind of knowledge do indie game teams need to benefit from the research and benefit from, from what's out there right now? I mean, I'm wondering, is there a certain kind of role that you need to have on the team to, in order to deal with that? Or, or, you know, based on probably what you guys do at Model AI, is it so easy now that, uh, you know, the things can be done by even small teams of, uh, of developers?
4: Um, I think tool sets uh, are, are a way to, to allow developers more easily to to get some new AI methods into the game. Uh, it's probably really hard uh, to take a, a research paper and then like understand all the knowledge even for me to like take the, the, the pseudo code and then build it myself. It takes a lot of time. but if you have a managed uh, tool set that you can easily integrate, uh, that helps a lot.
0: Are there um, certain, you know, designs uh, that you would like to see that are empowered by AI? I mean, we talked about indie a little bit. Are there, I mean, you guys know, for example, what your tools can do. Uh, uh, Tanya, you know what kind of games you're, you're making. Are there like at the crossroads of these two, these two things? Or is there something that uh, you, you'd always wanted to see that you currently are curious about?
3: Well, I, I can say on our part, the place where we're finding sort of um, these kind of like machine learning methods uh, production relevant at the moment, you might put it that way, is a lot in, uh, in behavior cloning for multiplayer games. So making sure that you have sort of like something where the game feel feels right, especially for competitive multiplayer games, mm-hmm. also for skill adjustment and things like that. That's a place where you can sort of like plug in to the way that a lot of, um, of, of design work already happens and offer something unique and extra. Something I would be really excited to see in the future or would be excited to see someone do is having more sort of like open loop uh, community open AI driven games. But I also think that those are quite dangerous in a sense, Uh, or or at least that it comes with a lot of design risk. But but you can imagine having, you know, AI is, is good at ingesting new information, new examples that you provide to it. Right. And, and if you imagine for, for a multiplayer game, it's pretty simple. It's just you, you look at how people play and then you copy it and you put it into for instance you know into your fighting game or into your racing game. That's, that's not so risky. But if you had sort of like something like a text-based game for instance, you could you could potentially allow the community to produce new examples and AI could train on those and they could go back into the game for other players to experience. Uh, but that also comes with, with sort of like a huge moderation uh, you, know, you know problem and challenge right? but but it's a way of, of setting up an automated loop for letting your audience contribute to 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 the game you know making it more of a living thing and i don't think anyone's really done that yet but it'll be it'll be very interesting to see when people start thinking along these lines
2: yeah so. that's almost like modding community 2.0 right like yeah. if you or or even what you're seeing with roblox like if if somebody were to take that kind of uh, yeah player generated energy and really funnel it into uh, a machine co-author some scary amazing things could happen yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much what i was curious about if uh, something like roblox uh or i don't know using minecraft or some of those uh sandbox environments if they could benefit from having an ai you know go wild in there and uh, pretty much uh, create something that uh, players on the other hand wouldn't be able to do themselves
2: well those those in particular are dangerous examples because they are children's products. Uh, I definitely would would wait a couple decades before letting it loose with children um, but i I do think that in you if you look in almost any direction like regardless of what your personal expertise is as an independent creator, I think you can find the frontier avant-garde of of AI immediately like I like whenever I talk with Jillian uh, Smith or or Kate Compton, or, you know, I I look at it myself, like whether you're a storyteller, it doesn't really matter because AI is so new to games and to interactive experiences. I I really would encourage anybody um, to not shy away um, from it as something that's like magical tech wizard tech. It's, uh, It's just a different way of thinking about how you make an experience.
0: And we've had. I mean, I work for for a larger group uh, with you know many different game development studios around the globe, and we ha- we've had some really interesting examples on our own. Uh, for example, one of the games we work on is Moto GP, uh, racing game, and uh, we were uh, I had to think about this as, as kind of a funny example because uh, you know we were trying to uh, you know train the AI to uh, you know get get better and give players a different uh, you know experience in the game because it's a smart and so it's a learning AI, and kind of the first thing when we when we configured the agents and everything. Thing. And we saw is like the fastest way from start to finish line was to pretty much do nothing, you know? So, yeah. so that, was the, uh-huh. that was the very first thing, like, well, I'm already there, so I kind of won the race. And then, of course, you know, with the additional configurations, it got better and better. And it was really fun to see how, you know, the AI drivers um, uh, kind of behaved and how they got better at, at this and so on, and how we could, we could fine-tune this. That's, that was one example. And the other thing was we, um, I think Andre mentioned earlier that uh, sound is also an interesting uh, part to that. There are some really nice services right now that can actually put emotions into um, uh, into uh, uh, characters where there's no real voice actor, you know, we and we achieve pretty good quality. It, it might not be perfect, but during game development, when you make like a AAA game with a, with a with big budgets and you have to iterate a lot, then if you know you can uh, use uh, some service like that, some toolkit like that, to uh, get a feel for how this could actually feel later on um, before you actually put um, more into it to uh, have it then, professionally record it um because still there is a little bit of a gap uh that definitely is is also very beneficial and i'm wondering since i have all the uh you know the the experts or uh at least the people with opinions like tanya said here in, in that space are there any similar examples where you saw in in game development wow this kind of blew your mind or this was funny or something i'm, I'm just uh, trying to get some some stories here that uh, you saw in the field of ai and, and machine learning
1: so may- maybe not a published game, but I've seen a, a demo of someone using uh, a, a language model, GPT-3, uh, GPT-2, I think, or three. But but uh, the, the the one that's behind AI Dungeon uh, used in a VR game where you can just interact with uh, uh, with other like NPCs in a more natural fashion. It was running slow and everything was like still not ready to be uh, published as a game. But the experience itself, like like this really changes a lot of things because you don't have those scripted npcs that just like you know if you come by and you click the right button and you and you just uh, you know it it has a three different pre-scripted responses here you could just uh, approach a character ask a question it would answer you know However, it uh, you know the, the 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 algorithm running that uh, NPC uh, you know decided to but it it felt like a natural interaction and I think like those little uh, you know magical moments uh, in games are very hard and very expensive to do with traditional means and uh, you know that deep learning uh, revolution that was going through different industries uh, I think democratizes a lot of the things so so you mentioned like audio for example and having to record, uh, you know, um, re- record, uh, you know, every conversation in game, that meant that a lot of that richness was, uh, you know, only uh, possible if you had like a multi-million dollar budget, and a huge team, uh, with being able to do it, uh, you know, automatically for uh, like some monthly subscription from <laughs> some company. Uh, this means that, you know, any indie developer is doing is able to provide the same richness as 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 many bigger companies were previously able to do so so this was uh, again a lot of stuff going on uh, as demos and and small samples i think like if we wait a year or two uh, this will end up you know on, on steam on, on uh, other places
2: well you know briefly when when we were um concepting boyfriend dungeon And the concept was really just, it's a dungeon crawler, but you date your weapons. We briefly considered the idea of having the weapons be procedurally generated because, you know, in, uh, uh, for example, Borderlands or something, you have, you know, 55 million guns that are all generated because all they are are stat buckets. And we were like, well, we could generate 50 million sword boyfriends if if we generated their dialogue and, and whatever in dating. Um, but there was a scary and hilarious, which maybe that still would have been the right call, because honestly, if you, if you look at even the simplest um, example of, a, of Markov chains used in, uh, it was a game that is retired now uh, for legal and ethical reasons um, called Boyfriend Maker. It was a mobile game where a company uh, stole uh, as far as I know, they had no rights to it, but the you know it's it's debated whether it was in the Creative Commons or not. They 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 took let's say uh, reams and reams and reams of forum chatter on a dating website, mm-hmm. and they took all of it and fed it into a Markov chain generator. So you would text with your boyfriend, and he would text something back from that uh, dating website uh, corpus, and it was often horrible <laughs> you'd end up with your boyfriend on your tech on your phone texting you about like setting fire to your mother and and <laughs> going on dates with your goldfish it was just completely completely bizarre and it was amazing and i loved it um but also without that kind of corpus it, it was it was going to be kind of impossible to get interesting results so we we shied away from that and went for authored boyfriends but um i do think that um that, that is an example of how even the simplest AI can, can go off the rails pretty quick if you give it weird data to train from. <laughs>
0: reminds me a little bit of an example I heard last night uh, in another talk uh, that's uh, currently Southwest Southwest Online is going on. And, uh, you know, there was about trends and there was one talk uh, about, um, you know, somebody uh, pretty much collecting the data from social networks and using AI to create, uh, a, recreate uh, a dead person uh, so people can have conversations with somebody who actually passed oh. away based on their social media profiles. And I found this pretty scary, actually, to uh, that, that this would be possible. It reminded me a little bit of that because uh you know it's it, there's there's probably some ethical boundaries to what we should do and i just wanted to ask you guys are, are, would you somewhere in in games or maybe even beyond that kind of draw a line to what ai and machine learning should or should not be used for uh, i know it's a tough question but i you know i gotta ask you <laughs>
3: Well, uh, one thing that we discuss sometimes here, uh, and and I think it's like generally interesting is sort of like, um, you know, ownership of examples that you put into games. So if we start training behavior or, you know, if we start generating things, much like the examples that you just have, if you start generating from other people's examples, what does the ownership look like? And even if you cover that through, you know, EULA and you, you kind of have the rights to all the data, how close can you go to an individual person? Uh, and, and then there's the other side of that, I think is like, um, and, and that's maybe much more, um, you know, close to what's happening at the moment in, in the industry, but if you're personalizing things toward particular users, I mean, that's that's a very common use of AI um how much can you optimize an experience for an individual user and how much can you you know control both their playing experience but maybe also their um you know guide them towards certain purchase decisions and other things that may or may not be great for them uh, i think those are some clear you know areas where uh, you, you'll find some ethical issues
0: what are um i have a, another kind of question so what are the tough genres for applying ai and machine learning are there certain types of games where uh it's i don't want to say impossible but very challenging to actually you know make an ai learn how to play i, mean, I don't know maybe rts games or something like that are there any where it's really uh, challenging um for for you guys to uh you know um, make this work
4: yeah i think there's definitely a, a limit to, to what a pure machine learning bot can can learn uh, with the methods we have today, Uh, and especially when you you get into games such as real-time strategy, um, there is a limit to how general it can be. Maybe you can train a bot to play well on one map. But if you have uh, hundreds of maps and it needs to be general across all those, maybe even to new unseen uh, maps in your game, then it becomes really, really hard. Um, And I think yeah, it, it, it comes down to like the the scale of the of the state space, how many situations in the game exists, uh, and obviously when you introduce a new level in your game, that creates a whole new space uh, of situations that, that your uh, your bot can uh, can encounter. So are I saw there...
2: an interesting, I mean, it's limited um, application of AI, but um, very exciting for indie creators. Um, I don't know if any, if everyone follows Liz England on on Twitter. She was um, one of the designers on Watchdog Legion and uh, was involved in their ai design of, of those npcs but she's working on she's, she's out from that now and she's working on her own things and one of the things she was looking at was using the um the generated painterly faces and then applying the um animation procedurally to those faces. so you can have completely fictional people animated just from something that the, the webcam records from your own face and so this it's a very very quick like in 10 minutes she made five different characters all look pretty high resolution um, animations of looking around the screen and like that she shows like putting it in the game um, it, it was just a very uh, I don't know very timely it feels like very early 2021 this is the state of, of open source AI that a, a creator can just go download a couple of things and now they have a, a face that can look around and and it looks really good and, and nobody and sh- they own the rights to it it's amazing um,
0: So following that uh, thought, I mean, what are we going to see? in like a few years down the road, uh, what, what kind of, I mean, I, we already talked a bit about this in the beginning, what, what kind of uh, games do you think are going to happen? You probably see like what people are experimenting with right now. Uh, and I'm, I'm just trying to get some predictions here. Of course, predicting the future is always, is always hard. But, uh, you know, what do you think is, uh, are going to be some interesting uh, examples of uh, application of AI and machine learning in the next, let's say, you know, two to three years? Let's not go too far into the future for now.
1: So, so well, who's going to be brave, brave enough to go first? Yeah, you, you just <laughs> I mean, Honestly, to two
2: to three years is harder than five or ten years. Like five or ten years, we can imagine all sorts of crazy things. Whereas in two to three years, we're like, well, it takes about two to three years to make a game uh, at the shortest. Yeah. So... Uh, what games do I know that are in production right now? <laughs> like, okay, okay, then um, let's
0: let's make it easier. If you think it's hard, then let's make it easier. Let's go five to ten years, so uh, it has more of that, of that uh, like trend coming up uh, component. So,
3: I, I actually I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, make like... up an
2: excuse not to answer that either. But no, <laughs> go ahead. Someone else answer first. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs>
3: Well, if I could do, like, actually in the short term, I think one of the, we're going to see some crazy, um, you know, uh, really, really interesting application of AI by people mashing up different APIs or different services, I think, much to what what everyone here was talking about, you know, toolification and taking something that's already available in open source and then just tweaking it or combining one or two things in, in an interesting way that we haven't even thought about. And I think that, that so. So I can't say what it's going to be, but I think it's going to be something like that. Like people putting two or three building blocks together, and we're going to see something novel that we didn't think about.
0: Anybody else daring uh, enough?
1: Yeah. So I actually, I will answer more uh, in the sense that what I would like to see, not what will happen necessarily, because the, those those might be different. Uh, well, if you would lines. like to see, it,
0: there might be listeners yeah, that yeah. actually uh, going to make a game uh, after uh, when, after hearing it. So.
1: One thing is like very down to earth in terms of like democratizing the way games are uh, done and content is done, uh, you know, cleaning up motion capture data or just getting motion capture data, Uh, you know, currently there are projects that, you know, allow you to, to, uh, from video shot in the wild, get some decently looking uh, motion capture data, it will probably improve up to the standard that we are used to in the game game industry, Uh, so this is the first factor that smaller teams will be able to uh, provide more content, that's like very down to earth uh, thing. The other thing is user-generated content, we mentioned Roblox, that's going to be probably another factor, Uh, if you're uh, you know, uh, books are a nice example. I don't think uh, anyone with uh, a computer or a phone is capable of writing a book. Uh, we don't have, uh, you know, the same limitations we had, uh, you know, centuries before. Uh, um, so uh, that uh, type of artistic expression w- was democratized. I think, like, games will continue on, on that path as well. and the. The third thing is, uh, you know, Christopher, I think, mentioned that uh, in in the sense of games that uh, live and change and evolve over time. So you have a better connection. So you you return to a place and, uh, you know, NPCs uh, remember you, they have some knowledge of what happened before and, uh, you know, Games where you have a pet were super popular, but still quite limited in, in, in the interactions you had. So I would expect, again, just using reinforcement learning uh, and, and other machine learning methods, that this will improve and, and actually provide a lot of fun to a lot of people.
2: Oh, I absolutely hope that you're right. I mean, it's been 22 years almost since Seaman came out, and we have not seen a better pet since Seaman. That is a crime <laughs> that I hope indies solve very soon. Um, but I absolutely agree with you. I think that um, we've seen, like you said, the trend of indies being able to produce more and more to higher quality of uh, the last few years has just gotten completely... Um, unimaginable some years ago, the the amount uh, and and quality that uh, people can make right now with the assistance of better tools and and, uh, automation and things. Um, And I I hope that continues, even though it's scary as a competitor in the field. Um, I also think that you know, Dwarf Fortress, I'm I'm sorry to go back to it again, but Dwarf Fortress has been very influential um, on game designers uh, of a certain age, uh, of a certain interest group up until now, and like Rimworld and and even Valheim to some example to some extent um you know owe a little bit to that legacy. But I think that it's been mostly contained to, you know, base builders and things like that. Like you haven't actually seen deeper simulations yet. And I think when it comes on Steam, it will it will be extremely influential to designers who maybe couldn't get into the ASCII version, or or maybe were too young to have missed its sort of heyday ten years ago, or something like that. Um, and so i i would I would imagine in three to five three to six years, we will see a lot more interesting deep simulations of AI and psychology and. Um, civilizations and cities and things that currently people don't really approach because they're seen as too complex or they're not sure what the gameplay would be. Um, I think I think we're going to see a new crop of uh, of AI interested designers coming soon.
0: So, are we going to have an AI with us next time we have a, a, <laughs> a, a, a episode two to this? <laughs> you know, what's what about conversational AI? Is that is that something that is going to be ready? I don't know in uh, in ten years, five years? I don't know.
2: You could have invited Eliza. She would have, uh, you know, asked for your thoughts in return, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) This
1: could have been done, to be honest, like, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of preparation, uh, but but absolutely. Uh, uh, I think I uh, even even generating a face, uh, you know, animating it uh, live, that's possible to actually today help my son for a school project. Where he was supposed to make a video of uh, his perfect physics class, so we took a photo of Einstein and ran a, <laughs> ran, uh, you know, a project. Uh, just download it from GitHub, which which lets you animate and voice, uh, you know, a photo. So like those tools are really getting very, uh, you know, accessible uh, in terms of producing coherent. Uh, Text. Uh, there are still some challenges with with ai uh it, it's uh you know sometimes it's like uh you know talking to someone who had a few drinks so sometimes they the coherence is, is
2: overrated right like yeah. like wouldn't players be kind of disappointed right now maybe in 10 years they'll feel differently but i feel like right now if you told them they're going to talk to an ai and the AI actually acted like a real person, they'd be disappointed because like, what's the fun in that? I already have people to talk to. I don't I don't have an AI to talk to. I hope it's different.
0: Well, maybe one yeah. of you guys is an AI. I don't know. How could I tell, you know, if it's perfect? You
2: wouldn't know. <laughs> oh,
0: no. so, so we could, We, we could. Yeah, maybe Andre is, I don't know. I'm not I'm sure I don't trust you anymore after the thing with your son, you know, I think. I Lars, your fingers
2: might. look very nice today. Oh yeah, thank oh. you.
0: <laughs> that gave you away. <laughs> So uh, I wanted to thank you so much for, uh, you know, taking the time to have um, like a uh, a deeper look into some of the areas that that you work on today. Uh, I know we can't cover everything in detail obviously, but I hope it uh, sparked some curiosity uh, with our listeners and uh, gave some inspiration to try out the possibilities that are already there or help contribute to taking it even further for for some of the game makers that are listening to this um, podcast. So thank you so much um, for being part of it. I wish you all the best with all the projects that you're working on right now. And I'm definitely gonna keep a close eye on uh, the development in the in the AI and machine learning scene and hopefully at some point we can have a follow-up to this and see you know how we have moved forward thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank, you. Yeah. thank, thank, thank you. you for joining okay. thank you for listening to the
0: Devcom games industry podcast presented by devcom.global, produced by Sven fosings Executive Producer Stefan Reichart.
2: Music by WeLoveIndies.com Supported by BeyerDynamic High Quality Headphones, Microphones and Conference Systems for Professional
0: Musicians and Gamers Made in Germany